of Romans, chapter 8, verses 18 to 30, we're just reading, as you guys well know, we're in the fourth part of the section that is verses 18 to 23, and um, we're looking at a message series titled, What Are You Waiting For? As believers, we don't have anything to wait for. In fact, we have every reason uh, to be busy about our Father's business and to love on people, to speak the truth, and they may not like the gospel truth. Uh, because the gospel itself is offensive. Uh, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That's now become offensive. Um, Jesus rose again from the dead because we need redemption and justification. Now somehow that's become offensive. But it is the truth. And Jesus did that for you, all of us. There's not one sin that you and I can commit that's greater than Christ's blood to forgive. And that's good news. So listen, I'll begin reading uh, in verse 18, if you'll pick it up, church family, in verse 19, nice and loud if you would. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the creation was subjected to futility... Not willingly, but because of him, that's God, who subjected it in hope. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until, uh, together until now. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would grant us the maturity as believers to mitigate this strange dynamic that we live in as believers. We are citizens of heaven, but we live here on earth for now. Uh, this is a part-time life, and we're heading toward the eternal life. And yet at the same time, your Holy Spirit is in the life of the believer, so thus we possess eternal life now, but Lord, we're living it out in these earthly bodies, <laughs> and we groan. Many of us had to get Advil this morning to come. Our back hurts. We have headaches. Our joints are beginning to stiffen up or whatever it might be. God, we confess today. We agree with what's written here in the Bible. It's obvious. But Father, we also need to agree with the fact that we are children of the living God. And you have granted us a glorious liberty that will never be taken from us. So, Father, give us ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us now. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated, church. I want to give you this quote from uh, Oswald Guinness, or you might know him as Oz Guinness. Um, he says, listen, the deep logic of God's truth can be expressed in both stories and arguments by questions as well as statements. Through reason and the imagination, through the four gospels as well as through the book of Romans. Now, Os Guinness could have used any book of the Bible to put there other than the book of Romans, but there is no other book of the Bible that covers the totality of the 66 books of the Bible in one incredible announcement but the book of Romans. It is as you often hear it is the high watermark or the hallmark 
of New Testament theology. And that's saying a lot because New Testament theology is the summation of the Old Testament promises. We're studying this on Wednesday nights in the book of Hebrews. How do you know that the New Testament's true? You can't unless you study the Old Testament. That's why your Bible has got both Testaments in it. God made a promise in the Old Testament, and the New Testament is the announcement of when the promise was fulfilled. And that fulfillment is the ultimate promise, and that is your salvation. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans, again quoting many times from the Old Testament, that the just shall live by faith. And that is so very true. So what Dr. Oz Guinness points out is a great statement that in all areas of life, pick your battle, pick your lane. Whatever you battle, whatever lane you're arguing on, uh, the foundation of it all is that God is the creator. He is the creator of the physical universe. He's the creator of spiritual entities, the Bible tells us. And he's also the giver of the Bible. And that's why we're here this morning. If the Bible had been proven faulty, flawed, we wouldn't be here right now. We'd be, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be gathering. The name of Jesus would have waned, and the Bible would have been used as a coffee table uh, showpiece or a museum showpiece, but nobody would care about what it has to say. No, God's alive, and his spirit is working, and the book of Romans points this out powerfully. Church family... What we've been looking at is this. What are we waiting for? Verse 18, when time is running out, we saw three key things about that. We're to be looking for or doing the practicing of expectation. Not going to belabor that. Go to the website or go online and, and listen to that. Expectation. The Christian should be pregnant with expectation. The world is fearful. The world is panicking. And, and uh, I just saw in the news, you probably did too, that the scientist, I can't believe this. I should have put the news thing up. The scientists in Wuhan are saying that there could be another virus about this time next year. What? This has got to be a cartoon. I thought it was a meme. I thought it was fake. So wait, now you're telling us a year out that something's going to get out of the lab in advance. Why would somebody do that? Hey, let's strip away the humanity of it. Why would in this world such a thing get out to, to gender up? and gin up fear. Get you ready for fear. Right? Think about that. Whatever it might be. Oh, the economy this, the economy that. Listen, we're not dumb. We understand the economy. The economy has got to absolutely correct, and it's going to be a rough one. You can't spend like we've spent and have it go over easy. But here's the deal. Everything that is spoken in the news today, best just turn it off and turn on Bible programs or the Bible, put on the audio Bible. Just drive with the audio Bible reading to you. Why? Because you won't have any fear, man. God will calm your heart. But if you keep watching uh, NBC, CBS, I'm not going to say Fox because we're on Fox, Um, all those other channels, uh, you'll be gripped with fear. We, We saw also that we're to be looking for the right perspective. Uh, The believer today should know the Bible, and we should judge the world by the Bible. I'm not talking people, not judging people. We don't have the authority to judge people, nor would we want to. That's God's business. What we are saying is we are to look at the world and be able to say, that's sin, that's good, that's right, that's bad. God's word is so practical, it's so incredible, and it's so... uh, 
what it is so telling on what perspective we have. We want to have a biblical worldview is what it's called. Thirdly, we saw that as believers, we're looking forward to the beginning. <laughs> we have, so what are you talking about? Uh, you haven't even started. As a believer, you haven't even started to live your life yet. I'm co- I, I lose track. My memory, it's okay. Um, I, I'm 66 years, I'm 65, I think. What am I? Six, gen- 65. Okay, see how bad that is? Young people, enjoy yourself today because it's coming. It's coming to you. Um, so I've been a believer 46, 47 years. I forget that too as well. But here's the point. The point is this, that um, all of this we learn from the Bible as we read it is that for us, the believer, the show really doesn't get going until we enter glory. You could call it dying. That's unfortunate. Dying. Okay. We just move. We relocate. Okay. If I drop dead, listen, if I drop dead today, uh, I, I relocated. So Jack died. No, Jack moved. Okay, if you're a believer, you don't die. Jesus said, if a man or woman believes in me, yet shall he die, he lives forever. So that's not really death. Death for us is a door that opens up for us eternal life. And um, landed on kind of passionately right now because if you're not a Christian, I don't know what you're living for. And our sympathy goes out to you, by the way. Because we used to... We used to not be Christians, and we used to do the things that you're probably doing. We tried to find our meaning in sex, drugs, and rock and roll, as they used to say, whatever it might be. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Grab all the gusto you can. He who dies with the most toys wins. And then you find out that's not true. Because you were built as a human in the image of God to live forever. And you can't live forever with God unless it's through Jesus Christ. Oh, that's so narrow. It's more than narrow, friend. (laughs) Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. Why? Because it was God dying on the cross in God the Son, Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 2, verse 13 says, looking for the blessed hope. That's that pregnant expectancy of us being transformed and going into his presence, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We remember that from last time. And the words, by the way, and the actions of the believer ought to define a great expectation in our lives. Why? Paul did this. Old, aged, scarred, imprisoned in Rome in a Roman sewer. The Mamertine Prison, I've been there. Maybe you've been there as well. It's, a, it's a, a, a tourist site where you go in Rome. And he was in the belly of Rome, underground. And uh, in that sewage canal. And he wrote this. One of his last few words, by the way. 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. Finally, listen to this man. He's, he's looking down the barrel of Nero's judgment. He's going to have his head cut off. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Do you love the fact that Christ could appear at any moment? There's a crown of righteousness that awaits you. You you and I should be pregnant with with this expectancy. Colossians 3 verse 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, appears, suddenly appears, without warning, by the way, This is not the second coming he's talking about. This is the rapture of the church. Very different. The appearance of Christ. Then you also will appear with him in glory. 
1 Thessalonians, this is how it's going to happen. If any of you are technical here, you're going to want to write this down. You say, what's the mechanics of that? I don't understand the physics of that. Well, God knew you were going to ask that question, so he gave you this. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 starts by saying, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. The word ignorant here, the Greek word is do not be uninformed. It means it's information you can have, so don't avoid it. Get it. Concerning those who have fallen asleep or died in Jesus, believers are referred to as that. They fell asleep in Christ, speaking of the body. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who died in Jesus. Verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are dead. In other words, their dead body is going to pop out of the ground in the resurrection just nanoseconds before if you're living in that generation, you're walking down the street. Oh, it'd be awesome if you're, I've told you guys before, I want to be doing a funeral that day at Forest Lawn. Wouldn't that be great? And now we put, you know, Brother Mike's body in the ground. Mike's not here. Mike's with the Lord. And wait, can you imagine? We just put the body down and then the body, the, bo the body's going to come up in resurrection. And the Bible says, we'll read it here in a second, is that Mike is going to mean his body in the atmosphere. Those who are alive at that moment, not dead, but alive, will be metamorphosed. It's that stuff. Listen, it's that thing that you see in the movies. You know the Left Behind movies? You ever seen those movies, Left Behind? That's what they're talking about. The pilot's flying the plane, and then he's gone, or somebody. Okay? That, listen, when that happens, only God knows when it's going to happen. There's a great argument, by the way, that at this moment, Jesus doesn't even know when it's going to happen. That the Father tells the Son, go get her. And her, in the Bible, the church, is called the Bride of Christ. And that is a, that, that's a very cool Galilean wedding. If you want to know more details about a Galilean wedding... Go home today, go to Amazon Prime, and, and watch uh, Before the Wrath. Before the Wrath. You'll get more on a Galilean wedding than you'll ever want to know. It's spectacular, though. And it makes sense. The father says, son, the building is done. You've done good. You've done good. The dad says, let me sign off on your permit here. You've got now an, uh, uh, a certificate of occupancy Go get your bride and bring her home. Jesus talked about that in John 14. I'm going to come and take you to where I am. You will be also. And the Bible says there that he's been preparing a place for us. The father's going to turn to the son and he's going to say, go get your bride. For 2,000 years, it hasn't happened. Don't think it's not going to happen because it hasn't happened. Hello. It means we're 2,000 years closer to it happening. That makes this a very, very good day today. I'm ready. I hope you're ready too. God's, God's good. And uh, where was I? Anybody remember? <laughs> Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. That's John 14, 1. With the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's the word uh, in Latin, uh, rapture, or the uh, Greek is harpazo, caught up, violently removed, picked up, quickly, together with them, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord, verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. And you say, well, I need a little bit more uh, technical instruction on that. Well, 
look at 1 Corinthians 15, 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You want to know why? This is so cool. We're going, Christian, we're going to a, an atmosphere where this skin cannot survive. Okay, if you and I went down to the beach right now and we started diving down deep, even with scuba gear on, we can only stay down for so long and we got to come up real slow, right? Why? Because we were not built for that environment. Okay, we're built for here. And we're not even technically built all that well to go too high because after about 10,000, 11,000 feet, you start to get a headache walking in an atmosphere so thin of O2. Are you hearing me? That you're not built for that either. You and I have been built for this earth, and that is a scientific and a spiritual fact. But what if we're going to go to heaven? Oh, God's got that covered. He's going to, he's got, he's going to take your resurrected body. He's going to rearrange, which I really appreciate this. He's going to rearrange the molecules. That's why we believe in resurrection. The Bible teaches resurrection. Not reincarnation, not resuscitation. He's going to take, and those of you who have had even basic physics, he's going to take, for example, your cells, and he's going to keep you, you, but he's going to rearrange them ever so slightly, and he can change the entire environment or the theater in which you live. He can do that. He's the great physicist. Uh, the guy, I'll recommend a book to you. It's not, he's not a Christian. Uh, but his name is Emmanuel Vilikovsky, and he wrote a book, Worlds in Collision, Secular Man. And uh, he wrote how, based on the way the atoms work, if they were tweaked just a bit, you could have two worlds living together simultaneously, yet not knowing one another, because they occupy a different structure, yet in the same space. Mind-blowing, right? That's kind of like uh, Stephen Hawking-type stuff. But God can do this. He's the creator of it all. And so it's, it's remarkable because we cannot in this body. We've got to be changed. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. That's, a very, that's another topic for another day, but it's beautiful. Verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. The word mysterion in Greek means it's something that has always been, but it has not been revealed. It's not like a mystery, like I'm going to tell you a trick. It means this is eternal truth that has always been, but now is the time that God has revealed it. Oh yeah? Well, what is that? We shall not all die, but we shall be changed. And in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, 18 to 25ths uh, of a second, they debate about a twinkling of an eye. The point is it's going to be fast. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Church family, um, I just got my social security thing from the IRS. Or is that who it is? Who, uh, about, you know, you're this age now. You got you to gotta plan for your uh, welfare, whatever the thing is called. What is it called? It's what? Medic oh, yeah, that's part of it, too. I wasn't thinking that. So I'm like, I look at all this stuff. And it's so technical. And it's like, what? It makes you want to, like, die. <laughs> it's like, really? 
wait, if I have this and then that and a portion 3% of this on top of this, 21% of that, and then you can, you can only see that doctor for a certain amount of time, then you got to go to, and it's like, no, this is killing me. <laughs> it's all complicated, and you're going to get, you know, $1.50 a month after inflation, <laughs> all this stuff. It's like, oh, boy. Hallelujah. Our retirement program, according to God, he said it, is immortality with him. <laughs> Verses 19 to 21 is the fact that we're looking at a hope that is increasing. And we, again, we touched on that as well for a moment. And that was, we are uh, experiencing a hope that is not a wishful hope. It's a knowing hope. <laughs> it's a hope. Because a hope is a tough word for us to unpack as Westerners. When we hope, it's like, oh, I hope, I hope the sun comes out today. You know, we've had two days of clouds here in California. It's like, what do we do? What, what do, we do? <laughs> When's summer coming back? So whether people, they say something and then you hope, or somebody goes somewhere and they, they hope that they get a room, or you hope they reserved your car, or whatever it is. No, this is the word for hope is not that word. The word for hope, the hope that God gives is, you know, we would say it in our modern tongue, is a hope that you can take to the bank. It's a hope that when God says it, you can grab onto it and say, God, you said it. So, and by the way, that's true faith. God, you said it in your Bible. You said you love me. I don't feel very loved. This is happening. That's happening. This marital issue, this relational issue, this, this family or corporate problem. God, I don't, I don't feel your nearness. God's, listen, don't be surprised if you, if you do not feel God brush up against you or pinch your little arm to let you know you're here. He's there. He doesn't do that stuff. What he does is he'll remind you in your head, what did I tell you? What, what did I say to you? Well, you said you, that you'd never leave me or forsake me. That's right. But I don't feel it. I didn't say you would feel it. Did he? He didn't say you'd feel it. I didn't say you'd feel it. Yeah, but I need your strength. You've got it. I need your wisdom right in front of you. I need you to get me through this. I will. The results, you got to leave with God. The results, we leave with, we live, leave with him. Knowing that um, even nature itself is waiting for the redemption of man. Look at verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits. It's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, for the revealing of the sons of God, that's us, children of God. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't personify nature. Nature's not a person. Nature's not Gaia, right? <laughs> it's not a God. Uh, nature is God's creation. What, God, what the Bible is announcing is that nature suffers because man sinned in the garden, and ever since then, the world has suffered. And I think you know that just by observation, and you even feel that. You look around in this world, and you realize, wow, things are wrong. And I'm not talking about politics or social, cultural things, just naturally. You'd be looking outside, like in my backyard, people, it's, my backyard's like a zoo. That's not true, that's not true. No animals are in a cage, it's like Jurassic Park. You look out in the backyard and you go, look at that beautiful squirrel. It's so beautiful. And then a red-tailed hawk. It's like, okay, uh, kids, look over there. Isn't that a nice snail? 
It's pretty gnarly. I mean, one time, seriously, I'm not joking. One time we had blood all over our back window because uh, the hawk flew something into the wall. It's just crazy. It's crazy out there. <laughs> and there's all kinds of things happening. And um, if, I had, if I had the time, I, 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 would, I could have showed you my backyard. It was early on a Sunday morning, and I heard something out back, and I looked out the window, and there was a, a cat, somebody's cat, just frozen because a skunk was walking right by him. <laughs> this is right outside my door. And while that was going on, out in the yard was a possum eating an orange. <laughs> and it was like, we should sell tickets. We could sub subsidize the ministry. It'd be amazing. <laughs> Nature, though, dies. Nature gets hit by cars. Nature is subject to uh, all the things that plunge it into uh, destruction. And the Bible says that that is a result of, of Adam and Eve and sin. And we'll get more into this. But it was almost like an epicenter happened and a shockwave went throughout all of God's creation. We saw in verse 20 that knowing that a plan is unfolding by the beautiful power of God to redeem. So here it is. We look at verse 21 and it's this. That we know that there's an ultimate makeover that is coming to this world. It says in verse 21, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. This is good news for everybody. Just be a believer. Enjoy this, will you? Don't miss this. In the glorious liberty of the children of God. He's talking about the end game. This might come as a shock to some of you, but when you read in the English Bible that when God comes back and judges the world that he's going to implement his kingdom and part of the kingdom is that which follows the reign of Christ on earth. The Bible says first that Jesus will politically rule from Jerusalem. It's called the millennium. You've heard this before. You've read about it. Uh, it's one of the most documented things in the entire Bible. That finally the world is going to get a political leader that is just, holy, and pure. And it's going to take none other than the Son of God himself. Okay, it's not going to, hap it's not going to happen in Sacramento. It's not going to happen in Washington or at The Hague. It's not going to happen in the EU. It's going to happen by God in Jerusalem. He, he talks about that. The millennial reign of Christ. That's where you've read the Hallmark cards and stuff where it says, the lion will lay down with the lamb. Right? That's, in, that's right out of the Bible. You think Hallmark making that up? They stole that. It's plagiarism. They took it from the scriptures. <laughs> May you have peace as the lion lays down with the lamb. Well, well, actually, the Bible says when Christ returns, he's going to remove all that stuff, and the lion is going to lay down with the lamb. Okay, that's unusual. And it says that little kids will play with snake holes. They're going to play with snakes. It says they're going to, they're going to play with ven venomous vipers because they won't be venomous and they won't be mean or, or whatever. I don't know. Even in the millennium, I'm not going to go near a hole like that. I don't, I'm not into snakes. Some of you like snakes. Last time we talked to a snake, it didn't go well. I'm just going to stay away from them. But, if, but to show you what Christ is going to do to the environment, the little kids during the millennium are going to play with snakes. That's how amazing it's going to be. It's going to be incredibly wonderful. God's going to restore things. And what you might find shocking is the Bible says, Behold, I saw a new heavens 
space, and a new earth. That's how you read it in English. Both in the Greek and Hebrew, God is not going to make a brand new heavens and a brand new earth. He's going to take the heavens that have been tainted by sin and the earth that has been ravaged by sin, and he's going to restore or recreate. You know this from the, the great flood of Noah. The Bible says, Noah, get in the boat. I'm going to destroy the world. Did God destroy the world or did he scrub the world? He scrubbed it. He said, Noah, I'll never flood the earth again. Next time I'll burn it. That's what he said. I won't flood it anymore. Next time I'll fry it because it needs to be purged. It needs to be cleansed. Medical people in here, God's going to autoclave the earth. He's going to purge it from all poisons, diseases, and he's going to He's going to recreate. He's going to restore forests and rivers and lakes and mountains and animals. And it's going to be amazing. I love reading the Bible. There's so much hope. But the Bible tells us, and we must agree, that nature itself looks forward to that day. It's, it's remarkable. Also, uh, we, we know this as well, is that when God does this beautiful work, it's so um, it's so much like our nature. Listen. Remember, we've been creating the image of God. Now, you and I, you go to church all the time. You take that for granted. But you know how many little kids are growing up in this world today that do not know that? They're being told that they are nothing. They're, they're an evolutionary byproduct. Hey, Junior, guess what? You can do anything you want to do because you're not responsible for anything because you are just a result of primordial goop. You've evolved to this point and, you know, eventually will evolve into something else. You're just an animal, but you're at the top of the food chain. And that's not exactly true, by the way. We're at the top. We're, we're, at the, we're the apex of evolution. Really? Why don't you go... Go to Catalina and swim around the island and see if you're at the top of the apex of <laughs> Some of the biggest great whites in the world are on the uh, east or the west coast of Catalina Island. You're going to go in there and say, oh, excuse me, I'm the apex of creation. Or I'm the evolutionary apex. And that, that shark's going to say, what? <laughs> no, you're not. Evolution is a religion. It's not backed up by science. It's what people cling to when they don't want to believe in God. I get it, it's convenient, but the fact of the matter is God said, I made creation and I'm going to fix it. And part of God, listen, you down deep inside, the little effervescent that's left over from us being created in the image of God, don't you like to restore things to some degree? I mean, some of us just like to just get it over with and buy a new one, but some of you are amazing. Some of you get a piece of junk car and you actually look for it. I want, to I want the biggest piece of junk I can find. What are you thinking? I'm going to restore it. Why? Because you get such a deep satisfaction of taking something from destruction and putting it back to its former glory. You know, God's going to do the same thing. He's going to take what we crashed, right, so to speak, and he finds it in the junk heap of the universe, and he's going to restore it to its former glory. And a little bit of him is in us that way. Some people like to refinish furniture or, you know, whatever. 
I think that's a great part behind the inspiration of painting, painting pictures, is the creativity of that. To sit down and to draw. We scarcely ponder this for a moment. I'm not being funny when I tell you, you will never see an animal sit down and draw. So oh, I saw a monkey in New York Zoo, he drew an apple. Have it draw a skyscraper and how to build it. I'm talking about us. We're the only ones in this creation. And we know a lot. And we know something's wrong. That something should be better. And you are correct. And I would say to you today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to listen to that truth that he's whispering to you about. So, well, my marriage is messed up. Listen, on any given day, anyone or everyone's marriage is messed up. You understand that? Marriage is ministry invented by God. I thought it was for me. I thought God made her to make me happy forever. Where'd you get that from? The pastor says, and, and I now pronounce you husband and wife. You may kiss your bride and may you live happily ever after. No, it's actually, you may kiss your bride and now both of you become one, and it's going to be a ministry. God invented it, and here's, here's what God's going to do really in marriage. He's going to take you, sir, and convince you that you're not the center of the universe. <laughs> and he's going to convince you, young lady, that he cannot meet all your needs. Only God can. And both of you are going to find out growing together as a team that God's number one, and your marriage is somewhat below that. Maybe number two, maybe number three. Why does he do that? Because, listen, if you've been influential as a single Christian and you meet somebody, remember God says, don't be unequally yoked. It's a tough start. It's a wrong start. Don't don't be a Christian and marry a non-Christian. I mean, being married is like being in the frying pan. (laughs) Well, what could be worse than that? The fire! If a Christian marries a non-Christian, you're going from the frying pan into the fire. It's, it's, it's hard enough in this fallen world. God's model for marriage is the closest thing that can relate to our relationship with God. That's why it's so difficult. The Bible says for the husband and wife to first submit to God, and then the order is established. And I tell men once a month in this gathering here, all of us men, and I hope wives, I hope I'd like to get some report cards from you wives. It's teaching these men how to be godly, masculine men according to Jesus, which means they will be servant leaders. They'll be men of God, and they'll love the Lord. And women, listen, women, some women may not know this, but I'm going to tell you something about you right now. You might think, oh, I don't, I'll never listen to my husband. I'm going to call my own shots. That's fine. You're not to be silent. But there comes a time God tests us all. Number one, husband, God is saying, are you listening to me? Husband, are you listening to me? God is saying, are you listening to me? I want to give you marching orders about your life. And then he'll test the wife by saying something to the husband. And then the husband's got the the detail to go over and say, honey, I think we should do this thing. And then that's where all the excitement starts. (laughs) It all comes down to, listen, every wife should say, Hey, before we talk about this, did you pray about it? Show me what scripture verses God gave you this idea of yours. Let's th- let's let, now now you just told me 
Let's pray about this through together. Amos 3.3. This has nothing to do with our Bible study. It's not even in my notes. So maybe that was for somebody today. We'll see. We'll see. So God has got a project, and it's going to be awesome. And he's going to deliver the fallen creation. And third and finally, you guys, it's this, verses 22 to 23. That is, what are we waiting for when life will be fully lived? Yep, there's a time coming when we're really going to start living life, friends, free. Right now, according to the Bible, as Christians, this book is written to Christians, Book of Romans, we suffer in this world. What's amazing about Christian suffering is it makes us more like Jesus. I don't know how that's going to work in eternity, but it's really going to matter. It is a big deal. What you and I suffer in this world for being a Christian is going to really matter in the day of eternity. Now, you have to take that carefully. As a, as a mature believer, you can't run away from controversy. But at the same time, you shouldn't go looking for it. Amen. The Bible says if you're persecuted for Jesus' sake, you're going to receive a great reward in heaven. That doesn't mean you run into a crowd of Jews or Muslims or atheists and say, hey, you're all going to go to hell, and they beat you up. You should get beat up. That's not right. It means that if you and I are going to live like Jesus, go figure, if you and I are going to live like Jesus, people are going to hate us. Jesus is the most hated individual on this planet today. Why? Because he raised the dead. Why? Because he cleansed the lepers. Why? Because he said if he dies on the cross, he'll die for your sins. He's, he's so hated, he's hated because he rose from the dead. See, Jack, that's not making any sense. Exactly my point. Your rejection of Jesus is a spiritual issue. It's not intellectual. What did Jesus do to upset you? You, can, uh, you and I can get in line and tabulate all the people that hurt us. They didn't die for us. And they're not, listen, they're not getting us into heaven. Jesus was the one who when he was beaten and when he was subject to grotesque suffering, the Bible says he opened his mouth not once in defense. Why? Because if he would have, then he would have not fulfilled his plan to redeem you. See, our sins needed to be paid for. But God is holy. He can't just, he can't just say, well, we'll just, Forget that. He can't. God cannot do that. Someone has to pay. The amazing thing to me, God removed this from my, my vocabulary a long time ago, and it's this. Well, God, that's not fair. I never use that word anymore, ever. No way. Because you know what? strange thing about forgiveness, the only way forgiveness works is if the innocent person issues forgiveness. It gets worse. The person that was sinned against is the person that has to pay the price. That's not fair. Fair is you sin against me, I punch you out. That's fair. Fair is, you do this wrong thing, you get you, no ice cream for you. Right? That's fair. God's not fair. God is extravagant. God, God, told, God says all of mankind has sinned and fallen short of 
the glory of God. That means this. All of mankind has sinned and by default cannot go to heaven. But I have a plan. I will send my son in the likeness of human flesh. He'll be born just like you were born. He'll feel exactly what you feel, except he'll feel it perfectly. He will feel perfect pain. He will feel absolute, total rejection. None of us have been rejected like Jesus has been rejected. When somebody drops a brick on their foot in the world, nobody cusses in your name. It's a spiritual issue, friends. And the day that we see him, the Bible says in the book of Zechariah, Though he may, or he will, remove all of our scars, emotionally, spiritually, physically, will be made whole, perfect. Glorified bodies, the Bible says. Yet the Bible says that when we see him in eternity, the Bible says he's scarred. Did you know that? The God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, for all time and eternity, your Redeemer, your salvation, your love, the the love of your soul, your soul's lover, I should say, will be scarred for all eternity. Zechariah tells us. Wow. So church, it's this. Life fully lived, that's when it's going to happen, is when this fallen age finally fails. (laughs) And it's going to come to its end. It says, for we know that the whole creation groans and labors, verse 22, with birth pains together until now. Suffering, physically, emotionally, in a non-physical sense, even the spiritual realm. It's remarkable to me, and I wrote it down, I, I, I just wrote it down so I wouldn't flub it up, but I'll read it to you, it's just a thought, that it's remarkable to me, it's a remarkable word that's defined here, the word groans in the Greek lang- language is stenadzo, and it means to exhibit pain, listen to this, or to show evidence of pain, think about not only Jesus, not only you, but think about this observable world right now. The physical, emotional, non-physical worlds, that's the spirit realm, or out of sorts. The word means that it's disjointed or misaligned or skewed. Friends, listen. That may, hmm. If your bicycle tires are a little out of whack, it's no big deal. But if you have a centrifuge and something's out of whack, it's a big deal. Are you hearing me? Can you imagine the engine? The engine on a jet, on a jet plane, you know that. Those planes, when you're cruising along eating your uh, chips and sandwich on the flight, uh, you just sitting up there. You know, the, techn- the, the technology that's monitoring those motors, if something goes off just ever so slightly, it's constantly, constantly monitoring. Why? Because it could be catastrophic. Why? Because something is stenadzo. It's out of joint or it's out of place and it causes something to go into like a wobble and eventually fall, fly apart at the seams. Watch this. This is cool. We're almost done. The Bible says the earth and the universe has suffered stenadzo. It's out of sync, and it's, imagine a a V8 only firing on six of the cylinders. Your car is shaking. Imagine, listen, listen up, physicists, astronomers, listen. The universe is so finely tuned To the nth degree, you move Jupiter, we're dead. Did you know that? We're 93 million miles from the sun. Five miles closer, we fry. Five miles back, we freeze to death. 
Isn't that evolution spectacular? <laughs> God did that. And he said he set them in their orders, and he keeps them in their order. Sin enters the world, and there's what we call chaos. And it's hurting. We call it death. You, in a uniform fashion, death throughout cells, death throughout atoms. Atoms are dying. They're slowing down. Death and life, we all get this. The thing is, the book of Colossians tells us that the only reason why it doesn't fly apart is because Jesus, by the word of his power, is holding it together. That is awesome. Oh. There's going to come a time when this, all that's dead and dying and worn out and pooped out <laughs> is going to come to its end, and it's a good day. For the believer, it's a fantastic time. Secondly, church, is this, is when suffering comes to its end. It says in verse 23 that not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting this is describing the daily life of the believer. I'm going to give you some scripture references. We don't have the time to cover them all. But, um, or you can download all the notes online if you would. But um, you see that word first fruits? Can you circle it? In most of your Bibles, the more, uh, the more accurate translation, you look at the old King James or maybe the new King James, it will have first fruits as one word. The English word, it's, we, we flub it. It's first fruits. We have to, it, it, it causes a problem. It simply means this. It comes out of the book of Leviticus, chapter 23. It's also in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 26. But it's this, you guys. God says here that uh, not only that, but we also who have the, look, the first fruits of the Spirit. Follow me. Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, right? It says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ was risen from the dead. Watch this. Jesus being resurrected from the dead, all those who believe in him shall be resurrected from the dead also. He is the first fruit. Those who believe in him, trust him, are also partakers or they, we are also first fruits. See, what's this first fruit stuff? When man did a work, when he plowed his field, Leviticus 23 says, or if you had your vineyard or your cattle, or whatever it might be, the firstborn or the first harvested, the first bunch, the bushel, was presented by you or your family to the Lord, and the priest would take it, and he would wave it. It says it's a wave offering before the Lord. What do, and and uh, so what's the deal about that? It's to remind you that God provided this for you. That God is good and that God deserves the best off the top for this reason. It's great because the Bible says, does God need it? He doesn't need it. So then why does he take it? He doesn't take it. He'll never take it. You have to offer it. I want to keep all the money I make. Keep it. Other people will read this and say, I get it. God gets, God gets the first fruits of, of what he's allowed me to do. You know what that does to you? It does something to you that money can't buy. It causes you to be thankful. It causes you to be appreciative. 
All the stuff you're trying to teach your kids? Dad, I need some money. I don't have any. <laughs> Just go to the debit machine, the ATM. That's what kids think. What do you mean you don't have any money? That little box always spits money out. Go get it. No, that's not how it works. When we give to God, it sets our heart right, heart, sets our heart straight. It's a good thing. But the point is first fruits. According to the work of Jesus on the cross, the reward that Christ has given is you. Jesus suffers all of that, goes through all of it, dies, is resurrected, and the Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, putting up with the shame of it all. Why? Because it says that he, the joy that he inherits, is the joy of our salvation. Jesus pays for it, and then he's the one that's all excited that we're saved. See, wait, don't you, don't you have that in right way? He paid for it, but shouldn't we be excited? Yeah, you'd think, right? If that were true, we would never complain again or gripe again. If that were true, we would break down the doors of the church to get in before worship started. It's like, whoa, man, come on. Let's just, let's together. Let's just break down the doors and get in there. Heck, if the band's not playing, we'll get up there and play it ourselves. Let's give God glory. You can't stop, listen, you can't stop somebody like that. When they start to realize, wait a minute, God's giving me breath right now? The, uh, the O2 and all? Yep. My heart's beating because of his goodness? Yep. Then give your first heartbeat to God. Give your first breath to God. It's not the money thing. It's all the other stuff. Everything that you have in life that's good, the Bible says in James 1, 17, all the good things you have in life came from God. And God says to keep your heart in the right place, Give me the best, and I, I'm convinced, I can, well, you guys listen, I'm making this next part up, it's not in the Bible. Everything else has been okay until now. I give you warning. Because God doesn't need anything, and he says he doesn't, when he says, I want you to give me the first fruits of whatever you make, I think that when we get into eternity, I think God's going to have a safe deposit box, so to speak. And all the stuff that you thought that you gave to him first will be clearly dependent upon the attitude of your heart. The Bible says in Corinthians, it's awesome because the Corinthians were a messed up church. But the Bible says, um, when you give to the Lord, give with a hilarious heart. And if you can't give with a hilarious heart, it says, God doesn't like, he doesn't want a grumpy giver. Can you imagine? Oh, man, yeah, let's go. They're just going to pass the plate, I'm sure. Did, did you get a plate passed in front of you today? No. no. Did you go to the Honda Center for that Just Church thing? Did you get a plate passed in front of you there? No. Do we ask you for money there? No. We make opportunity for you here to connect if you want to give by going to the whatever they show you thing. But that's, it's a matter of your heart. When a church says, okay, come on, you guys, let's give. Let's pass the plate again. Play the music. Pass the plate. Stop. Stop. God's not into that stuff. You know what? You, you operate within what God has given you. So when God gives something, you're so appreciative of it. Thank you, God. You're amazing. First fruits. 
Mom, your children are, your, are God's first fruits. They're not yours. Dad, that all-star football player son of yours belongs to God. He's been put on loan to you. Your little princess who does the ballerina and she's the state champion, she's been put on loan to you. Husband, God's loaned you your wife. There's a day of reckoning and it's all a matter of the heart. When you love somebody, it's all about the heart. You can, get, you can give somebody all the gifts. You can give tons of money, tons of gifts, tons of whatever. But if you don't love them, what an insult. A lot of young people today are committing suicide, we hear. And they're coming from affluent homes. Interesting. Uh, if you want to look at it deeply, it's affluent white homes. White homes, affluent homes, and most of the suicides are males. Young males. You know what they have in common? Things. But one of them is, they have everything but love. Dad's too busy, mom's too busy. Oh, you know what? Just buy him a, just buy him a Porsche. He's... he's He's got his permit. Get him, get him a Mercedes. The kid doesn't want a Mercedes. He wants dad. God doesn't want our Mercedes. He doesn't want our yacht. He doesn't want our whatever it is. Are you hearing me? You get this, right? He wants your heart. Any love relationship demands intimacy. Otherwise, it's not a good word. And then finally, we end with this. It's here. It's when we become, finally, thank God, we become the redeemed you and me. Look at the last end of verse 23. For the adoption, the redemption of our body. We are going to be entering eternity, experiencing what we learned earlier in this chapter a month ago, and that is God says to us, listen, we're closing and that doesn't mean get up and leave, by the way. I found this out. When I start saying that, you start heading toward your car. Ushers, lock the doors. I'm press the button here. Lock the doors. You're going to be leaving in a moment, but we just set the doors to tase. The <laughs> handles are electrified. You'll get out of the parking lot when God wants you to get out of the parking lot. Here's the thing, you guys, in wrapping this up. Jesus said, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. And remember, Nicodemus went into like this conniption. He couldn't figure it out. I'm an old man. My mom, she's older than me. How do I get back inside my mom and come out a second time, Jesus? What are you saying? And Jesus says, aren't you the teacher of all Israel? You don't know what I'm talking about? It's spiritual. If I were writing the Bible, I would have said, it's spiritual, you knucklehead. What's wrong with you? You got two... Nick... Too much smarts. You're not thinking this through. This is the physical world you were born into. To enter into the family of God, you've got to be born into the spiritual realm. That's a second birth. Jesus said that to him. What's born of this earth is earthly. What's born down from heaven is of heaven. And so in this, we find out when we read... That God says in eternity, he knew that you would say yes to him when you heard the gospel. You've heard the gospel three times today, by the way. I don't know if you're counting. Three times you've heard it. That he loves you, died on the cross for you, and rose again from the dead. Three times you've heard this. 
God is good, and he invented you with the ability to choose. Because God's not Elon Musk, who makes robots. He made you in his likeness, and you can choose whatever you want. And if you want to go to heaven, God says, great, here's the ticket. This is the way you go. And if you don't, then like Spurgeon said, every human will have at least one prayer answered. Isn't that a scary statement? I don't want God in my life. Then you won't. Don't worry about it. You won't, you won't have to. He won't make you. That would be rape. Put you in a headlock and say, tell me you love me. And tell me I'm Lord. Tell me I'm the best God ever. No, he's not going to do that. Just like you wouldn't do that. And the Bible tells us he adopted us. I love that. When you're born into a family, you're born into a family. What are you going to do? The kid comes out. That's, uh, I guess he's ours. What are you going to do? You can't send him back. So is there like an Amazon sticker we can put on this guy? He's yours. God, on the other hand, picks. He adopts. That's better. It's better for us. You say, well, Jack, I mean, I love that, but how do I know if God picked me? It's very simple. Do you want him? Do you want him? Do you want to know him personally every day, 24-7, literally for real? We're not talking about religion. You happen to be in a church right now that has these walls. That's just to pull this thing off. Keep us from getting sunburned or rained on. Seriously, beyond. This is not the church. You're the church. And here's the thing. We could pack up and go to, on a side of a hill and have church just like this because you are the church. But it's a choice that you make, but it's an opportunity that God gives you. Religion says, keep these 10 steps and sign this thing and do the other and you'll be accepted. God's not into that. That's what man does. God says, you want to love me? Here's the, here's, here's the deal. I died for you. you I, I, you're, you're in, think about this. You are in a fireball planet heading toward into oblivion and God is saying, you can jump now. I've given you a parachute. Jump. And notice little kids in heart, they jump just like that. You put a little kid up on a wall, watch him jump. And they'll say, do it again. Aren't they amazing? You put me on a wall and you're going to catch me? I'm not jumping. <laughs> Think about that. Little kids, very believing at heart, very precious. And Jesus says, your heart must become like the heart of a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. What does that mean? Be believing. You're a person and you appreciate a real relationship. Why would you have God be less when he made you? You didn't make him. And he wants to know you personally and he adopted. So you say, how do I know? If you want him, it's because he knew in eternity that when you would hear the gospel, you would say yes. If you're sitting here today, if you're watching right now and you're saying, I don't care a word about what you're saying. That's because he didn't pick you. Well, what's that based off of? Foreknowledge. He knew in eternity before time ever began that when you were presented with the option, you would say no. So he didn't pick you. 
Why would you go to a horse race and pick a horse that's going to lose? Why would, you, why would you go to the Indianapolis 500 or the Long Beach Grand Prix and pick a loser? Right? Think about that. You, you pick who, who's going to win. Well, the Christian is not the winner. We benefit. But the truth of the matter is this. God knew in eternity that you would say yes to his offer or no to his offer. And to say no, you continue on that fireball crash into eternity that's called hell. And the Bible says everyone's there, who is there, has no one to blame but themselves. But everybody who's in heaven gives God thanks for getting them there. Isn't that beautiful? So let's stand, if you would, and I pray that you get to experience in your life that you'd make that decision to be a redeemed you. <laughs> you know, we have makeovers. What's that all about? Oh, I'm going to get a makeover. They make over houses, make over cars, make over people. You want to really? What about having a soul makeover? You can change a lot on the outside, but God wants to change the inside. He's awesome. Father, we praise you, God. You're so good, and you're so precious. And Lord, I must admit publicly, because everybody knows it anyway, is that when things go rough in my life, it's, when, it's only because I'm pretending to um, have some of your authority. It's when I, I think I know better. I know how to do this. And I, I crash all the time. It's so much better to just do what you say. And today you're saying, I don't care what your excuses are, He's saying, he's saying to you, I don't, don't tell me your excuses because I already know them all. But you don't know what I went through. He's saying to you, I know everything about your childhood. I know everything about that bad relationship. I know everything that happened in that death or in that situation. I know. And will you trust me enough, he's saying to you today, will you just trust me enough to know that you've come to this moment? This is the only, all those things that happened, I knew would have to happen to bring you to this moment to say yes to me. I, I know, I know you better than you know you, God is saying. So friend, whoever you may be, wherever you may be at, if you would agree with God that you're a sinner like I am, that you can't save yourself, can't be good enough, and that you come to him and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. And I receive your Holy Spirit into my life right now. I invite you, God, into my life to take control of my life. I want to be now beginning this new life of being redeemed and ultimately <laughs> in the kingdom of heaven with you forever, a redeemed child of God who will join the ranks of heaven's worship. Oh Lord, that's what I want. And my dear friend, if that's what you want, you tell him. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.